just wanted to give you a couple announcements before we started this morning. Um, there is an election coming up, and uh, it's almost over, everybody. Next Tuesday, there's an yeah, yeah, we all have to vote by next Tuesday. Um, but thank you to the good work of Rachel and Delaney. Are Rachel and Delaney here? They're going to be in the back afterwards. Yes, hi. Okay, these two have put together a 24-hour prayer time for specifically for our country and for the election. It's going to start Saturday at 4 o'clock and run until Sunday at 4 o'clock. And there are slots that you can sign up for in the back. They will be in the back to tell you about that. Um, it's an important thing. And I'm pretty sure the 3 a.m. slot's still available. So you want to rush and get that one filled if anybody feels a calling to do that. We also wanted to let you know there's a seminary fair on Thursday um, in the Hub from 10 to 2. If anybody is interested in seminary or thinking about seminary, be sure to stop by over there and get some information. Um, the schools will be here to represent. Also, Steffi wanted me to tell you that we always need communion servers. Um, and this is for anyone who is willing to serve. Come and find her in the back, and you can sign up for that as well. Okay. Let us quiet our hearts and pray as we... Continue in worship this morning. Almighty God, gracious Father, in the presence of your bounty, we ask today that you keep us humble. In the presence of all people's needs, make us compassionate. Make us caring. Give us faith in our praying and love in our serving, knowing that by your power, all may find a new balance in living and a new victory in adversity. We pray for everyone that we know that today may feel unhappy, those who are bitter and resentful, feeling like life has given them a raw deal, those who are sensitive to criticism and quick to take offense, for those who desire their own way, whatever the inconvenience or cost to others might be. We pray for those who are lonely, who are shy and self-conscious, those who find it hard to make friends, for those who are anxious or depressed, for those who are nervous and timid, for those who feel strangers in a world that they can barely understand. We ask that your presence inspire confidence and ensure companionship. And Lord God, we ask this morning that you bless our country Bless our leaders and guide this election, we pray. Grant us a nation to be found effective in establishing peace throughout the world. And bless us, each one, in the communion of saints. Keep us ever mindful of the great cloud of witnesses that following in their steps as they did in steps of the master, we may with them at the last receive the fulfillment promised to your people. Through faith in Jesus Christ, our Lord, we pray. Amen. I went down to fall break, and this is uh, my new granddaughter. Um, that's Marlo Jean Bailey. She's four weeks old, and that's her bigger brother. He's two and a half. He was a T-Rex, and uh, we, we had a blast. And then look at this next picture. I can't even... I mean, come on. I don't even know what to do. Okay, so there we go. I just wanted to say that because I'm kind of a proud grandpa. Got two grandkids now. It's amazing. Uh, and here's the deal. I, we drove down. I got in at 1 in the morning down to Portland. Uh, we took off late at night and got down there because my wife and I, Linda, want to see these kids. And uh, 
I drink, co- I, I love coffee, by the way, and I'm a kind of a coffee, you know, how many like coffee here? I have a friend, Greg Hotman, who lives in Newburgh, Oregon, he's a farmer. Uh, he actually is, he, he makes the worst coffee, I mean, he still does Folgers out of a can in an old percolator that his grandpa had. I keep trying to tell him, I'm kind of a coffee freak, like, you can't make coffee that way, like, buy beans, grind them, put them in a French press. He's been doing this because it's tradition. It's the way my grandpa did it. His, his taste buds are literally shot. He doesn't realize how bad the coffee is that he's making. And I think it's similar to the Pharisees. <laughs> One of the keys to preaching is transitions. The Pharisees had this tradition, these percolators, the way they did it. They were blind to the fact that the coffee they were making tasted terrible. Here's the question. Do you have Pharisee syndrome? Now, Pharisee syndrome is this virus that sort of distorts the reality of how we see things. It blinds us to what is good coffee or what is bad coffee. It affects your brain, and it affects the way you understand God, and it affects uh, your narcissism. Actually, you walk around thinking the whole world revolves around you. And God was really lucky when you invited him into your world, your kingdom. You might have it, and you're just not aware. So there's a little test here. Brendan, we looked this up. If in 15 seconds you see the man in this picture, I don't think you have Pharisee syndrome. If in 15 seconds you don't see the man's face in this, in this picture, we'll anoint you with oil at the end of this service. All right. Here we go. Yeah. May the Lord be with you. Uh, There's something wrong. There was something wrong in the way the Pharisees were seen. They didn't see people. So an invitation to a meal gives Jesus the opportunity to contrast the reality of how God sees things with how blind the religious leaders and the Pharisees really were. So let's read in Luke chapter 11 as we continue this theme of the year of the Lord's favor and Jesus' relationships with people. Here it is. When Jesus had finished speaking, a Pharisee invited him to eat with him, so he went in and reclined at the table. But the Pharisee was surprised when he noticed that Jesus did not first wash before the meal. Then the Lord said to him, Now then, you Pharisees clean the outside of the cup and dish, But inside you are full of greed and wickedness. You foolish people. Did not the one who made the outside make the inside also? But now as for what is inside you, be generous to the poor. And everything will be clean for you. Jesus did not wash his hands. And here's the deal. I didn't know this. It had nothing to do with hygiene. It was a ceremonial washing that had kind of grown out of this tradition of the Pharisees. It was not prescribed by the law. It was a pharisaical code that was performed. Now listen to this. It was a pharisaical code that was performed to wash the moral uncleanliness that the Pharisees had felt polluted their holy lives from ungodly people and unholy things. It was a ceremonial washing. It had nothing to do with hygiene. It was one of the many indications that godliness had degenerated into looking good 
and pridefully setting yourself apart from all those others. So, Jesus blows up this incongruity between the outer and the inner life. And in fact, he says to those religious leaders, the clearest sign as to whether you're holy or godly is not your ceremonial washing. No. Rather, it's whether or not you give the chili in your bowl to the beggar sitting right outside your door. Not whether you wash the beggar's smell off your hands because some of his like moral filth got onto your life. Woo. And then Jesus launches into this series of six woes to the Pharisees. Here's what he says. Can you imagine being at this banquet? Woe to you, Pharisees, because you give a tenth of your mint and rue and all other kinds of garden herbs, but you neglect justice and the love of God. You should have practiced the latter without leaving the former undone. Whew. As interpreters of the law, the Pharisees had exaggerated the tithe to include spices that the law had never included. Mint and rue, here they are. These were specialty herbs for the rich to make medicines, to use for tea and fragrances, for soap, for incense. The Pharisees went to extremes. They went to these huge lengths to show their holiness by tithing on insignificant things like, oh, a little tenth of a mint leaf. Okay, there, you know, what? I guess the Pharisees forgot Micah 6.8. He has told you what is good and what the Lord requires of you. To do justice and love mercy. And to walk humbly with your God. I mean, why didn't the Pharisees give a tenth of the money they gained from the buying and selling of animals in the temple court, which they turned into a Walmart for their Ponzi sacrificial system scheme, and give some of that money? Oh, no, no, let's just do some mint leaves. What? You know, I have to admit, I like it pretty simple. I like the idea of just giving a tenth of things. You don't have to think. And sometimes I wonder if I might be caught up in Pharisee syndrome. Like when a couple years back, a mission group called Forsaken Children out of Ethiopia, they came to our church and they talked about how they were planting apple trees and putting sustainable farms in Ethiopia in some of the poorest communities. And for $30, you could get two apple trees and start a sustainable farm for a family in a village. And my wife turns to me and she goes, pull out the checkbook. And I turned to my wife and I said, Linda, uh, let, let, let's pray about this, you know. And she goes, just write the check. And I go, no, no, honey, let's pray about this, you know. Because in my mind, there is limited amount of money and there are all kinds of good things, and I want to be a purposeful giver. I don't want to give recklessly. It sounds so holy. Let's pray about it. And it's not that giving you know, with purpose is not important. It's just that I never do that on a Friday night when I want to go get pizza and a, and, and a movie for 40 bucks. I never have to pray about that. Oh, but the apple tree thing. Because pizza and movies are about me. Apple trees and sustainable gardens are about them. should probably pray about that. I'm sure those at the banquet uh, would have liked Jesus to have left after the first woe. But Jesus goes on. Woe to you Pharisees, because you love the most important seats in the synagogue and respectful greetings in the marketplaces. 
Woe to you because you are like unmarked graves which people walk over without even knowing it. You're like unmarked graves. Now to step on a grave, that was defiling to a Jew. You can read about that in Numbers 19. You were considered unclean for seven days. And then you had to go through this elaborate purification rite. Woe. By the way, woe is not a popular word these days. Uh, Here's what woe literally means, W-O-E. What on earth kind of religious system is this? That's what Jesus is saying. Whose deceitfully beautiful exterior, look at the dish, covers up the reality that your heart is dead and decaying. If anyone needs to go through a perfect purification right it's anybody who comes in contact with your dead and rotten souls who jesus was not messing around see for the pharisees the regular people were a toxin a pollutant that you had to wash off that moral filth because we're too busy too important for you woe to you pharisees Because you love the most important seats, is what it says. You love those seats in the synagogues and respectful greetings in the marketplaces. You're like unmarked graves. The Pharisees had these special greetings with all these incredible prefixes and adjectives. You know, well, hello, my righteous and God-fearing holy reverend Keith Beebe. How are you today? Hopefully you're not weighed down with the trivial burdens of the riffraff around here, but you're uh, continuing to walk on the higher plane of angelic blissfulness. Good morning. Do you, do you have Pharisee syndrome? You know what I mean? That syndrome that just kind of, you know, just your society, our society is just obsessed with this, Right? This idea that somehow we uh, have to be popular, we have to be recognized. Excuse me. Hello. It's the Pope. (laughs) Hey, P Dog. Uh, Now, Vatican? No. Yeah, Dwight, does your cell phone blow up in all the right places? We're so obsessed with popularity, the need to be recognized. I mean, that's why Facebook exists, right? Instagram, to let everybody know you're a cut above. You know, I think we need to move from popularity as the number one obsession in our society to something different. There was a journal study done in Journal of Developmental Psychology by Patricia Greenfield. It's a new study on preteens. These are 10 to 12-year-olds. They asked them, what is your greatest future hope? And here's what they said. Fame. Solely for the sake of fame. Not for money or anything else. It outscored a good job, achievement, and belonging. The number one goal of our society, to be popular. We need to move from this. Uh, Worship team, you guys can come on up. I mean, isn't this what you love about Jesus? He sought the downward way. We need to move from an obsession to be popular to an obsession to be present. I mean, this was Jesus. 
you get the sense with Jesus that he did not want to be any place else than where he was. Popularity, that is a friend of pride. Presence, that's a friend of patience. And by the way, patience is the first descriptor of love in 1 Corinthians 13. Love is not popular. Patient. And what is patience? Patience is not wanting to be any place else than you are right now. We need to move from an obsession with popularity to an obsession to be present. Do you have Pharisee syndrome? Is your religion a show? Are you majoring in the minors? Are you stuck in some sort of Christian tradition here at Whitworth that actually insulates you from real people? Are you like my friend Greg, blind to the reality that the coffee you're brewing just doesn't taste that good? So if this is your case, I want you to take another look at Jesus. Jesus said, I'm the living water. And the coffee I brew is not meant to be served in your religious holy huddles. It's meant to be served to the people out there. And by the way, if you drink this coffee, you'll never go back to Folgers. <laughs> if you drink my coffee, you'll never long for another cup of coffee, but mine again. Amen.